Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific program for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow at Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll be talking about what's happening on Capitol Hill, and there's a lot going on. We'll also visit with Dean Stansel. Dean Stansel is a research associate professor at the Bridwell Institute for Economic Freedom at Southern Methodist University in the Cox School of Business. He used to be a guest on the show regularly uh, when he was a professor at FGCU, and we'll look forward to talk, get his update on the economic freedom of North America. It's a special report that he, he lead, he's the uh, lead author. We'll also visit with Larry Bell, a professor at the uh, University of Houston, endowed professor. He's also written many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is December the 9th, and on this day in 1992, 1,800 United States Marines arrived in Mogadishu, Somalia, to spearhead a multinational force aimed at restoring order in the conflict-ridden country. Following centuries of colonial rule by countries including Portugal, Britain, and Italy, Mogadishu became the capital of an independent Somalia in 1960. Less than 10 years later, a military group led by Major General Mohamed Saeed Bayer uh, seized power and declared Somalia a socialist state. A drought in the mid-70s combined with an unsuccessful rebellion by ethnic Somalias, Somalians by, in a uh, neighborhood province of Ethiopia to dep- deprive many of food and shelter. By 1981, close to 2 million of the country's inhabitants were homeless. Socialism, huh? Through a peace accord was signed uh, with Ethiopia in 1988. Fighting increased between rival clans within Somalia. And in January 1991, Barr was forced to flee the capital. Over the next 23 months, Somalia's civil war killed over 50,000 folks. Another 300,000 died of starvation as United Nations peacekeeping uh, forces struggled in vain to restore order and provide relief amid the chaos of war. In early December 1992, outgoing U.S. President George H.W. Bush sent a contingent of Marines to Mogadishu as part of a mission dubbed Operation Restore Hope. Backed by U.S. troops, international aid workers were soon able to restore food distribution and other humanitarian aid operations. Sporadic violence continued, including the murder of 24 U.N. soldiers from Pakistan in 1993. As a result, the U.N. authorized the arrest of General Adid, leader of one of the uh, rebel clans, on October the 3rd, 1993, during an attempt to make the arrest, rebels shot down two U.S. Uh, Army Black Hawk helicopters and killed 18 Americans. It was a horrifying event. It horrified TV viewers watching the images of the bloodshed, including footage of Adid's supporters dragging the body of one of the dead soldiers through the streets of Mogadishu, cheering. President Bill Clinton immediately gave the order for all American soldiers to withdraw from Somalia by March 31, 1994. 
Other Western nations followed suit when the last U.N. peacekeepers left in 1995, ending a mission that cost more than $2 billion. Mogadishu still lacked a functioning government. A ceasefire accord signed in Kenya in 2002 failed to put a stop to the violence, though a new parliament was convened in 2004. $2 billion. And uh, Black Hack Down, just uh, to see the images of those, of what happened and how it went wrong was just incredibly so sad. Well, here's the breaking news of the day. I look forward to talking to William Yateman about this later. But Arizona Senator, Senator Kirsten Sinema has announced she's leaving the Democrat Party to sit as an independent, leaving her party with the same number of Senate seats they had before the midterm elections. How about that? Revealing the news on Twitter along with a slick campaign-style video, Sinema, who economically conservative centrism has at times caused major problems for Joe Biden's agenda, wrote that in a natural extension of my service since I was first elected to Congress, I have joined with the growing number of Arizonians who reject party politics by declaring my independence from the broken partisan system in Washington and formally registering as an Arizona independent. Over the past four years, I've worked proudly with other senators in both parties and forged consensus on successful laws, helping everyday Arizonans build better lives for themselves and their families. Becoming an independent won't change my work in the Senate. My service to Arizona remains exactly the same. So lots of questions, though. Will she caucus with the Democrats? I think that might uh, pull them over because Bernie Sanders does, and he's considered one of the Democrats. My hope is she won't caucus at all. She probably won't caucus with the Republicans. If she does, that would be even better. But we'll see how this all works out. And nevertheless, just very grateful for her uh, making this decision to become an independent. <clears throat> well, Russia has released jailed WNBA star Brittany Griner in exchange for a notorious arms dealer, Victor Bout, known as the Merchant of Death, after months of negotiations and hostility on both sides. The prisoner swap will bring Griner home to the U.S. after she was apprehended in Moscow earlier this year and sentenced to nine years in Russian penal colony in August, fulfilling a Biden administration priority. Earlier leaks from the administration suggested the U.S. sought to include former Marine Paul Whelan, Detained in Russia since 2018 in exchange for Bout, but he remained incarcerated in Russia. This is so sad. Authorities in uh, Moscow arrived, arrested Griner on February the 17th after she attempted to leave the country with marijuana, which her lawyers claimed she was using for medicinal purposes, being <laughs> was banned in Russia. She was medicinal purposes. She's a star NBA uh, women's uh, basketball player. Uh, Griner pleaded guilty to the charges of drug possession and smuggling in July, but denied malicious intent. However, she was arrested and uh, that she inadvertently left the vape canisters containing the medical marijuana product in her luggage. I'd like to plead guilty, Your Honor, but there was no intent. I didn't want to break the law, Griner told the court. Well, a Biden administration reportedly offered to trade notorious arms dealer Victor Bowden in exchange for Grinder's freedom, along with that of former Marine Paul Whelan in August, but the White House claimed it did not receive a positive response from the uh, Russia. Russia slammed the U.S. for disclosing the potential negotiations and said it would pursue a route of quiet diplomacy. This is just uh, such a shame. Uh, Obviously, the president is uh, garnering and looking for political favor as opposed to doing what's best and what's right. 
Just a reminder, listeners, that uh, President Biden freed, or President Trump freed 56 hostages and detainees from more than 24 countries in his term as president. Joe Biden traded a Russian arms dealer for a basketball player who kneeled for the national anthem. You know, why she's more important than perhaps bringing home the spring, I have no idea. But nevertheless, uh, he probably thinks it's more popular with, uh, with voters. Not that uh, she shouldn't come home. She should. But uh, where are our priorities? Well, the House on Thursday passed a massive defense bill that was passed on a bipartisan basis, but repealed the Biden administration's military vaccine mandate and a big Republican win. And while the bill passed in a 350 to 80 vote, its fate was not certain as lawmakers haggled back and forth at the last minute over whether to include some controversial measures. The bill, the National Defense Authorization Act, authorizes the Department of Defense's activities and spending for the year and is considered a must-pass legislation since it authorizes the Department of Defense's day-to-day activities, including paying the troops. Due uh, to its importance, it was passed every year in a row for the last six decades, which made it uh, a tempting target for Democrats to attach unrelated items to the bill this year before Republicans are set to control the House. However, none of the most controversial items that Democrats tried to attach to it made it through, with Republicans threatening not to move if on the bill if they were attached. The most problematic item was a, a proposal backed by Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, who would allow mainstream media companies to form a cartel to bargain with tech, big tech companies for fe- featuring their content, which would have been hurt independent and conservative media outlets, and how about the small outlets as well? Uh, Senate Democrats uh, went back and forth, demanding the proposal be in there, but it was dropped at the last minute. Another big win was getting language in the bill to repeal Biden's administration's military vaccine mandate, which was ordered in 2021. The Pentagon refused to budge on the mandate, uh, despite the threatening the jobs of at least 70,000 service members. Republican opposition to the mandate gained steam over the past several weeks and reached a crescendo over the last week, with senators making a final push. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee led a group of Republican senators in the final days to get the language in the bill via Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy negotiating with Democrats on the Republicans' behalf. Republicans were not able to get the language in to reinstate more than 8,000 service members kicked out over the mandate, but Republicans say they will fight for that when they take the House in January. So a big, big deal. Excuse me. Uh, The bill, which authorizes $858 billion in spending for the Department of uh, Defense, also puts more military resources in the Indo-Pacific region to counter an increasingly aggressive China and support of Taiwan. There's also a boost in spending for Ukraine with another $800 million for Ukraine's security assistance. Bill also gave a 4.6% pay raise as well as boosted money for housing allowances and lower gro- lowering grocery prices on uh, military bases in order to help troops and their families with current historic inflation. The bill now goes to the Senate where it's expected to pass on a bipartisan basis. And we'll see if old Joe has the uh, temperament at all to uh, sign the bill. We'll see. So, I suppose he will. Well, a prominent Democrat uh, raising questions and concerns about hate speech on Twitter received a terse response Thursday directly from Twitter CEO Elon Musk. 
singling out Elon Musk's Twitter, Representative Adam Schiff, you know, the guy lying at him, shared statistics show, uh, showing a rise in slurs against black people, women, Jewish people, and gay men. These numbers are abysmal and unacceptable, Schiff said in a tweet, adding that he and Representative Mark Takano were demanding action in response to these numbers. <laughs> Musk replied in the tweet hours later, false. Hate speech impressions are actually down by one-third for Twitter now uh, prior to the, the, now compared to uh, prior to the acquisition, uh, Musk retorted. Short retort, but right to the point. Uh, incredible stuff. And there's more on the Twitter files investigations. Uh, they reveal that many tools that the company executives employed to blacklist and shadow ban conservatives, they even uh, shadow banned and uh, muted the voices of people running for political office. It's just unbelievable what's being revealed, and hopefully we'll have time in the show to talk about a little bit later. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website, check it out, is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman, a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets right now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Had a little problem with uh, getting William on the line, but hopefully he'll be calling in shortly. In the meantime, I do want to cover this story on Twitter. It's so interesting. Uh, new Twitter files investigations revealed that many tools the company's executives employed to blacklist and shadow ban conservative voices. The thread posted on Elon Musk's platform reveals that internal Twitter name for shadow banning is Visibility Filtering, released by uh, former New York Times reporter Barry Weiss. In yet another lengthy Twitter thread, the revelations on Thursday showed that several mainstream conservative voices, like Charlie Kirk, who had millions of followers, Dan Bongino, were shadow banned by the social media company under the rubric of visible uh, visibility filtering, or VF. As one point, uh, Twitter even placed Stanford professor Jay Bhattacharya uh, under the label Trend Blacklist, for arguing that coronavirus lockdowns would harm children. Per Weiss, uh, Twitter once had a mission to give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. Along the way, the barriers nevertheless were erected, weren't they? That's so sad. Take, for example, Stanford's Jay Bhattacharya, I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sure, but nevertheless, uh, who argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children, Twitter secretly placed him on a trends black blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending. Or consider the popular right-wing talk show host Dan Bongino, who at one point was slapped with a search blacklist. Twitter set an account of conservative activist uh, Charlie Kirk to do not amplify. As Weiss and multiple conservative commentators pointed out, Twitter routinely denied shadow banning. Uh, especially on the political viewpoints of ideology, which uh, shadow banning might not be a term that Twitter employed, the company still performed the censorial practice under the banner of visibility filtering or VF, that according to Weiss. Think about visibility filtering as a way uh, for us to suppress what people see at different levels. It's a very powerful tool, he said. We control visibility quite a bit, and we control the amplification of your content quite a bit. And normal people do not know how much we do, said one anonymous engineer, who, uh, which two other engineers uh, and Twitter uh, employees confirmed. Barry Weiss have further profiled efforts by Twitter executives to censor accounts like Libs of TikTok, which uh, we'll cover more extensively at the investigation unfolds. Recently, former Twitter safety uh, executive Yoel Roth, who quit after billionaire Elon Musk acquired the company, defended the platform's fateful decision to censor uh, the Christian satire site The Babylon Bee for calling transgender uh, assistant secretary Rachel Levine a man. <laughs> she, they really they really did uh, censor uh, Babylon Bee. That's just unbelievable. We've seen from a number of Twitter accounts, including libs of TikTok, notably they are orchestrated campaigns that particularly single out a group uh, that is already particularly invulnerable with society. Uh, Roth told New York Magazine editor Kara Swisher as they informed a uh, conference last week, so not only is it not funny, but it's dangerous, and it does, not, uh, it does contribute to an environment that makes p- people unsafe in the world. Just unbelievable. 
So uh, my my point is this, that uh, right now we're going to get more and more breaking information on this. But as uh, Steve Bannon likes to say, <laughs> uh, Elon Musk did not acquire a company. He acquired a crime scene. And uh, more and more we're beginning to see that. Be great that if we get Twitter back to where its main purpose was and its main uh, objective, which is to provide information and support and a good exchange of ideas. But some, unfortunately, for example, censoring people who are talking about what now turns out to be the truth. The truth of the fact of the matter is that these vaccines have, are, are dangerous. They're, they're causing, uh, or there's evidence that they're causing deaths of people who've been vaccinated. They're not uh, people who get vaccinated still get the virus. And uh, there's just a number of problems. And nevertheless, they Twittered people trying to uh, participate in the dialogue and uh, they cut off their voices and unfortunately just pushed the narrative of the uh, CDC as well as the narrative of the Biden administration to the detriment of the American people. So it would be great. It looks like Elon Musk is demonstrating a lot of, a lot of courage in what he's doing. And uh, it's really great. So I hope you, I hope you'll continue. Uh, you've probably heard this, but New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is under health, House Ethics Investigation, according to a statement from the Ethics Committee. The acting chairwoman is Democrat Susan Wild. She's a Democrat. And acting ranking member is Michael Guest. He's a Republican. A letter states that the fact of a referral or extension and a mandatory disclosure of such an extension and the name of the subject of the matter does not itself indicate any violation has occurred or reflect any judgment on behalf of the committee. But nevertheless, they've announced their, that uh, she, her uh, activities are under investigation. The committee will announce its course of action in the matter uh, following its organizational meeting and adoption of committee rules in the 118th Congress, it concludes. The statement does not reveal why Ocasio-Cortez is under investigation. But the New York Congresswoman has faced ethics complaints in this Office of Congressional Ethics in the past over allegations she illegally funneled cash through a PAC to her boyfriend. The complaint alleges uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC as she calls herself, improperly converted U.S. House resources to her non-official personal use by obtaining an official uh, at email, governmenthouse.gov uh, email address for her boyfriend, despite the fact he was not employed by her congressional office. That complaint from March of 2019 read, Moreover, it appears she obtained the email address for him by falsely designating him as a staff member AOC uh, was also hit with an ethics complaint after she accepted free ticket to the Met Gala in uh, September of 2021. By the way, those tickets are pretty expensive. The American Accountability Foundation, Thomas Jones, wrote in an ethics complaint that AOC broke house rules by accepting an impermissible gift. And while the individual's invitations may bear the name of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the museum has ceded control over the invitations to for-profit company, specifically Condé Nast, and the chief content officer, Anna Wintour. Uh, Jones wrote, according to the New York Post, he also wrote that the New York Times outlines that the Met does not have control over who is invited to the event, but rather the for-profit company is in control of who gets invited. So in other words, they buy the um, several... Uh, they get several uh, tickets to go to the gala, and then they pass them out. One of them went to 
AOC. She's pretty new at congressional graft, <laughs> but I'm sure the big guy and others can give her tips on how to really stick it to the American taxpayers uh, going forward. We certainly would anticipate that. Well, a top FBI official stepped down just as the House Republicans have announced plans to investigate recent operations and actions at the Bureau. Uh, this is pretty interesting. The, in December 2nd, post to his LinkedIn profile, Steve Antuano, uh, assistant director in charge of FBI Washington field office, announced his retirement after 26 years, 10 months uh, with the FBI. I choose to retire, he said. Uh, he, uh, Thursday, yesterday was my last day. That's pretty quick, huh? Attributing the decision to wanting to spend more time with his family, he added, deciding to retire was not easy. It was extremely difficult to say farewell to the mission and to the wonderful people, uh, I worked with, but it, in making my decision, I knew it was time to hand the reins over to the next generation of FBI employees. So news of the retirement comes just weeks after Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee named him as one of the nine FBI employees they would require prompt testimony from as they seek to investigate potential political bias at the Bureau. Over the next past 21 months, we've made several requests for information and documents concerning operations and actions of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the congressman wrote in a November 12th letter to the FBI Director Christopher Wray, to date, you've not you have ignored these requests, or you failed to respond sufficiently. The letter continues. Please be aware that if our requests made remain outstanding at the beginning of the 118th Congress, the committee may be forced to resort to compulsory process to obtain the material we require. So far, the committee has requested testimony from at least 42 Biden administration officials, including employees in the Justice Department, Department of Education, Department of Homeland Security, and the White House. Additionally, the House Oversight Committee has announced plans to investigate President Joe Biden and his alleged involvement in his son Hunter Biden's uh, foreign business deals. As of November the 17th press conference announcing the investigation, incoming Oversight Committee Chair James Comer said evidence has been uncovered that indicates that Biden lied about his knowledge of and participation in these deals. Well, it's, you know, we've known that for a couple of years and uh, be really interesting uh, to see how this all turns out. As part of the investigation, we have evidence that the finances, the credit cards and bank accounts of Hunter and Joe Biden were commingled, if not shared, Comer said. Uh, Biden, however, seems unperturbed about the possibility of such investigations on November the 9th. Uh, when asked what his message to the Republicans seeking to investigate his family would be, he quipped, lots of luck in your senior year, my old coach used to say. <clears throat> in other words, it appears uh, that it appears that uh, Biden feels pretty confident uh, that even if the, uh, the uh, evidence is revealed, uh, he's, uh, you know, be passed on to the Department of Justice, the attorney general, and he'll probably pass on it. He'll continue to uh, prosecute uh, people who sing hymns at the Planned Parenthood and so forth. This whole system, of the dual system of justice, is just really a shame on uh, what's happening uh, here in the United States of America. I want to play, before I, uh, we go to the next segment, I do want to play a, a piece uh, from uh, Ed Dowd. Ed Dowd used to be with BlackRock, and uh, now he's <clears throat> giving testimony in Congress 
And this now re relates to the whole issue of vaccines and vaccine mandates and so forth. Uh, the vaccines are dangerous, and Ed Dowd is that proof of, uh, of this. Let me play you this piece. Ed Dowd, again, uh, he's now an uh, independent, I'm going to call him investor and consultant. He runs a hedge fund. Here it is. Can I get the next slide, please? Um, the bottom line is we saw 2020 pre-vaccine and 2021 and 22 post-vaccine. There was a mixed shift from 2020 to 21 of excess mortality from old to young. So in 2020, it was mostly old people. We also saw um, a mixed shift in uh, disability starting to rise in May of 21. Um, the excess mortality has shifted so much so that it's, uh, it's pretty phenomenal what you see here in the charts before you. This is not my data, this is a society of actuaries. In 2021, in ages 25 through 64, the employed people of our nation covered under group life, they experienced a 40% excess mortality. As quoted by a CEO of an insurance company, just a 10% increase in excess mortality is a three standard deviation event or once in a 200 year flood. So 40 is off the charts. Um, what's interesting about this is that the general overall population experienced 32% excess mortality. This group life uh, policyholder subset is much healthier in general than the overall population as done by st previous studies. They experienced mortality 30 to 40% that of the general population. So something flipped in 2021 by eight points. That's uh, pretty inc incredible stuff, isn't it? I mean, the fact that we see this kind of uh, excess mortality. Then again, a group of uh, healthy people. These are people that are working and have a group health insurance and a 40% increase uh, over and above the normal pattern of deaths. Uh, you know, where's that coming from? Well, this is not proof that it comes from from the vaccines, but it certainly is evidence that could suggest where's it coming from? It's, it, it has to be. Uh, the one variable that I see is is the vaccines. Vaccines are dangerous. We know that it creates a heart problems for many people. There are a lot of people who are dying young as a consequence. Is great athletes, in fact. Uh, something's gone wrong, and uh, we need to get to the bottom of it. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Bro Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Dean Stansel. He's a research associate professor with the Bridwell Institute for Economic Freedom at Southern Methodist University, the Cox School of Business. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, my pleasure. In fact, uh, as uh, we were just uh, visiting earlier uh, while uh, the commercial break, and uh, you were a guest on the show uh, probably 10 years ago at, when you were a professor at F- FGCU and now st- at Southern Methodist University. So it's great to have you back. Yeah, Bob, I just looked it up. It was uh, 2014, and then it was I uh, was on every Friday for about, I guess, uh, two or three years before I, I moved out here in January of 16. So it's been almost seven years since I've been gone. But, but yeah, was, we had a good run there. Absolutely, we did. Well, we're going to, and I'm going to enjoy this. You are the lead author of a, a very important paper. This is, this is called The Economic Freedom of North America. Maybe you can tell us about it. Sure. So, uh, so Bob, it, it was about 30 years ago or so when, when Milton Friedman, who many of your listeners probably know, and, and, uh, um, a bunch of other economists and policy experts got together during the Cold War and said, you know, there's all this, uh, there's all this uh, data, so-called data, coming out of the Soviet Union, claiming that they're basically cleaning our clocks economically. And and what what Friedman and others wanted to do was have a way to kind of measure the level of economic freedom in the U.S. versus the Soviet Union and, and, and all the other countries. So, so, so long story short, they, you know, about five years later, they came up with a with an, an economic freedom index for countries that allowed them to do that. And it's, you know, it's been, there's been probably 800, a thousand or so uh, academic papers that have used it over the years. But, but, but so, so about five years later, they said, well, we could do the same thing for variations within countries. So like for, for states in the, in, um, in the U S and, and the, the main publisher, although they work with the Cato Institute and a bunch of other places around the country was the is the Fraser Institute, a think tank in Canada. So, so the Canadian provinces were, were part of that as well. And I got involved with it around, around the time I started doing your show, maybe a year before that as, as the primary author and uh, where we rank the, the states. And, and so it's a big uh, data uh, exercise every year for me, but it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of fun, and it's a real important uh, report. It's also like the country one been used in a bunch of academic research, and 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 the the, the upshot of it is that that the, the overwhelming majority of of uh, research that uses these indexes finds that 
that uh, higher economic freedom is associated with all sorts of positive uh, outcomes, uh, not only economically, but, but other things like uh, at the country level, things like child mortality and, and uh, cleanliness of the environment. And, and so it's basically just the idea that, uh, that freedom, uh, freedom really matters and it matters in, in measurable ways. Absolutely. And uh, there's a real correlation between uh, economic freedom and the success of a country and its, and its uh, place in the world, too. So, so uh, Professor, what are, the, what are the criteria or what are the, the, the metrics that you're using in order to measure economic freedom? Sure. So, so what we do with the, the state level report is we, we collect data on the uh, state and lo- local uh, tax burden and the state and local spending levels and, and then a variety of <clears throat> uh, measures looking at things like the minimum wage and the, the, the size of the bureaucracy. And, and, and with all of these, uh, like, for example, with the tax variables, we're looking at uh, taxes, the dollars that come in divided by personal income in the state, because, you know, if you just look at it per capita, which some people do or per, per person, you know, a $5,000, say, uh, tax burden in Mississippi is a lot more burdensome because they're poorer than mm-hmm. a $5,000 per person tax burden in New York. So, so we look at it as a percent of income to, to really capture the degree to which this is uh, the taxes, for example, are, are biting uh, on uh, on people's uh, ability to pay with the uh, different income income levels across the different states so it's a there are real metrics there in order to measure this now what's in uh, this fact i think i read this in in the report before uh, to prepare for our interview i think i read that alberta canada if i'm not mistaken was really doing great in terms of economic freedom and then plummeted (laughs) down to number 47 in just a couple of years can can you give an explanation of why that happened yeah yeah absolutely so I think it was around the year 2014, somewhere in there, when when both the the national level leadership in Canada kind of flipped from conservative to to, I guess they don't call it Democrat, but but from right to left, and, and the same thing happened in, in in the province of Alberta, which was always right at the very top of the even the, the freer than the most free U.S. state for for many years, and so their their leadership flipped, their policies flipped to more, uh, you know, less economic freedom, and, and it was reflected uh, the, the very next year in our report, and they, they've continued to kind of slide backwards then. I, I do think that uh, well, one thing to keep in mind is the data it comes from the government, and the government is slow with data. So, so like, the report that came out a few weeks ago is for uh, the, for 2020. Uh-huh. So it's, it's, there's a two-year lag in both the state-level and the country-level report, but, but uh, I, I believe they... They switched back. I think Alberta elected a conservative. Um, I don't think they call them governor, but but what have you, whatever they call it. Uh, yeah. Fairly recently, I may be wrong on that, but but uh, the, yeah, they've really gone downhill, and 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 the country as a whole has. And we in the U.S. And, until the, the fairly recently had uh, had also been on on the way up. Of course, the COVID uh, the uh, the COVID pandemic uh, brought everyone's economic freedom down. Um, so that's uh, that's not fully reflected because it's, at the state level, especially the 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 uh, sorry the fiscal years usually end at the end of June. Yeah. So since COVID started in March, this this report only reflects a few months of kind of the fiscal impact. But but next year's will will probably show an even bigger decline. Yeah. Uh, both at the country and the state level. Well, I, I just opine, and we don't have the data to show it from from uh, the results, but. Uh, I think we're seeing a similar decline here in the United States with the with the policies that are being put in place around energy and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so we have uh, 
in the country level report, I think the the result was that we had fallen back to uh, the level we had gotten to 10 or 12 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, where, where we had improved since then, and then now we've fallen back. So we lost a, a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of progress. Um, you know, the, the, the COVID pandemic certainly is a, a major cause of, of a lot of that, all the, the spending in particular that we did where we just kind of threw out, you know, you get a check, you get a check, you get a check. No, right. you know, no paying attention to whether or not, you know, you lost your, your job or lost any income. And, and, and I realized it was it was a crisis and we were, they were trying to do the best they could. But but I think they really over over uh, overdid it and were a little too sloppy on it. And it wasn't targeted. You know, it wasn't targeted at those who needed it. It was just sent to everyone and that, that, that's that's real money that's going to come from somewhere sure it's, it's the federal government so it's just pile it onto the national debt and we'll pay it later but but eventually you do have to pay it and it comes that yeah. comes with uh, rising interest rates and uh yes inflation and just a number of uh, outcomes which well are... exactly the, the the idea of having a, a big deficit is, is a lot more expensive now that interest rates are higher and so so that's that's going to continue to to bite into that uh kind of that piece of the federal budget that goes to interest on the debt, it's going to get bigger and bigger, unfortunately. Yeah, well, we're dying uh, a death of a thousand cuts, and of course <laughs> they're, they're all self-inflicted right now, which is so sad. <laughs> now, I, I have to ask you, of course, I know the answer to this, but uh, yeah. so uh, which state is number one? Well, you know, Bob, I'm a fifth-generation Florida native, and, and I promise I didn't cook the books, but but Florida came out at number one this year, in, uh, just uh, edging out New Hampshire, who often is at the top spots, uh, and then South Dakota, and then uh, Texas and Tennessee are tied for, for fourth. Uh, so, so yeah, Florida has, has done well. And course bob we grade on a curve so uh, otherwise everyone would get an f but uh, yeah but uh, so so you, know, you can always improve you know, florida shouldn't sit on its laurels and and uh, not try to continue to improve because uh, new hampshire will pass them by but but uh, but yeah florida has done well to uh, keep uh, the burden of taxes low and to to keep the budget relatively under control and so they're they're certainly to be to be lauded for that yeah, what surprised me is, uh, of course, you, you rate every uh, state in the nation. I saw that Massachusetts is uh, relatively free, economically free. I said, surprised me considering the the political bent of uh, of that area. Yeah, they're uh, they come in at twenty six, the uh, the top of the bottom half. But but yeah, they they, they are uh, maybe a little higher than, than people think. I have a, a colleague who's who's from Massachusetts who always every year tells me, no, no, they they're doing uh, good stuff there. I can't remember what it was he said, but 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 they're they're, you know, they're ranked fairly reasonably according to to his perspective as a as a native of Massachusetts. Um, that, at the very bottom, by the way, you, you probably wouldn't be surprised to know that it's uh, New York and they've been at the bottom for, for many years now and, and by a fairly wide margin that we go on a zero to 10 scale and, and their score is 4.25 and California's is 4.59. So yeah, that's, you know, a good uh, point. Uh, yeah. four, four tenths of a point, which doesn't sound like much, but, but on a 10 point scale, it's a pretty big gap. And then uh, 48th is Hawaii and then Vermont and Oregon. And by the way, we had a, uh, we made contact with a, a think tank in Puerto Rico, uh, and they wanted to to be included in the index. So we were, for the first time, able to get uh, good comparable data from those guys. They, of course, came out la- below New York, uh, and in fact, their score is a 2.04. So they're you know, New York, as bad as New York is, is nearly twice as free as Puerto Rico by this measure. So 
they got some work to do over there. Yeah. You know, one thing that just occurs to me, Massachusetts is kind of an incubator for uh, technology development and so forth. They have these uh, universities, MIT, uh, Harvard, and so forth, that turn out. The, so what happens, you get a lot of startup businesses that become very successful. Maybe that has something to do with Massachusetts success. Yeah, that, that is true. And so on all of our, our fiscal variables, we're, we're doing it as a ratio of uh, revenue or spending, whatever it is, to, to income. And so, so yeah, states with higher income, that denominator is bigger, so it makes that ratio a little smaller, all else equal. Um, but uh, I think that you're right. I think that's a contributing factor. Yeah. So uh, te- Texas, uh, relatively free. Uh, maybe you could just let us know what, which states you think are, are doing the best job in terms of economic freedom. Right. So if you look at the four biggest states in the country, there there is a really sharp contrast because you've got Florida at one and Texas at four, and then you've got uh, New York at 50 and California at 49. So there's a real different approach. And one of the things that, that we've seen a lot here in Texas is just all of these um, uh, California refugees uh, pulling up stakes because uh, taxes are too high and, and housing is too expensive and moving to places like Texas and Florida and, and Arizona and Nevada and, and Colorado and just you know getting out of, of California. There's been a, a huge uh, flight of, of uh, not only uh, regular people, but, but whole businesses pulling up and saying, you know, the CEOs saying, well, if I stay in California, I've got a top rate of 11% on the state income tax. If I go to Texas, I've got zero. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, there's been a lot of that and uh, a lot of concern here about them you know, turning Texas purple. There's really been no evidence of that. In fact, a couple of years ago when, when Ted Cruz and Beto um, O'Rourke were, were running for Senate, the uh, I wish I had that number in front of me, the, the, the native Texans voted by a, a, a decent margin for um, for the Democrat, and uh, those who had, who were born elsewhere voted by a decent margin for uh, Ted Cruz, and so so if there was this kind of California case that people were worrying about, the, the results would have been the opposite. Yeah. I, I think we're going to be okay. I think if you think about it, just like people who who flee uh, um, countries that have bad policies, often one of the reasons they're fleeing is because they disagree with those policies. So the the the, the kind of notion that they're going to come in and turn Texas uh, purple is, is based on the idea that, well, they they left California, but they agree with California policy. So, so would, think in a lot of cases, it's just the opposite. Professor, would it, would it sure. be ironic if uh, all these people, that are illegal immigrants coming across the border, would all turn into Republicans and conservatives? <laughs> <laughs> based yeah, on- I think, I, I feel like there was some evidence in the border counties this year of, of, uh, of them to, you know, voting those counties voting more Republican than than, than expected, but uh, and that could be that very thing happening. Yeah. Of course, you know, in Florida with the Cuban population, you you get a lot of that uh, uh, conservative uh, voting. So, how can our listeners uh, get to uh, the report and take a look and see what's going on? Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, it's free free for anyone, and the easiest way is to go to freetheworld.com. Easy to remember, and that'll take you to an interactive website which has uh, a map of all the uh, sorry, a map of the world, and uh, and it has both the country one and the state one, and you can get a download a copy of the report itself. And 
and that is the that is the best way it's uh freedomworld.com all right professor i just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show thank you so much for joining us great to have you back Absolutely. on the show uh, yeah pleasure speaking with you bob thanks for having me back on my pleasure indeed all right coming out going to visit with professor larry bell endowed professor at the university of houston in space architecture and author of many books uh, his latest Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting choicesocial.us. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also an author. He's written a dozen books. His latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific read. He also writes his column uh, for Newsmax.com. It's uh, called On Point. You should check it out. His latest, Climate Alarm Scams Can Be Traced to Special Interest. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. So tell us about uh, the special interest behind this climate alarm. Well, I think in all these different uh, adventures we're experiencing that seem so strange and bizarre, and I mean, whether it's climate change or whether it's the deep state or whether it's, you know, any, you go on and on, energy policy, we always think of 
well, who's the they behind all this? And mm-hmm. and I and I maintain it's not just you know a smoke-filled room with with some couple people in it. It's it's a lot of converging interests. And uh, and in the case of the climate thing, there's the rent-seeking, you know, subsidy seekers, the uh, you know the wind and, and solar companies that want the handouts for their you know for their products. And then there's the environmental organizations that are Hugely rich. I mean, you know, you know, you put a polar bear in a Pepsi can or a Coke can, rather, and you know, and it's this feel-good kind of environmentalism that that is, uh, you know, sells a lot of you know sells a lot of products, and it's just an enormous amount of money behind those kinds of issues. It seems and then you got the, the kind of cabal with the revolving door between the EPA and these environmental organizations, where they they do these sue and settle suits, and they you know, to to push their their common agendas, or energy policies, and so on, and and we have the you know the globalist corporations that want to run to China and and capture that 1.4 billion population market and build electric vehicles and you know get you know, rely on Chinese uh, and Congo rare earth materials for the batteries and for all the you know. Wind, wind turbine blades and the solar panels, so it's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of converging interests, and certainly not the least a bunch of science, so-called science uh, organizations and universities that they're not going to get funded unless they look for a, a dead polar bear somewhere, and then because <laughs> because the money comes from the government, and the government has has become you know with a very strong political agenda. So, and then and then you got on top of this. At least not maybe in the top tier, but you've got the United Nations that sees all this as a great wealth redistribution opportunity, and you know the developing countries, bad developing country, developed countries that are producing all this prosperity and carbon dioxide need to pay restitution to the others, and so on, or or, or the Maldive Islands will be underwater, and and then their their new airport there will at, at sea level will, will be flooded, and all this kind of crazy, crazy nonsense. That, that supports uh, these scams. You know, it just brings to the uh, the wonderful little story, The King Has No Clothes. <laughs> it just reminds me, this is kind of the globe right now. There's all this woke nonsense and uh, climate change nonsense. I mean, you told the story, and I remember Gore opening uh, the, uh, the hottest day of the year, opening the windows and telling people... <laughs> <laughs> that the, that the uh, temperatures are going up and it's going to cause the the ice caps to melt and all kinds of things. Now, that's what, how many years has that been? And and it didn't as you as you pointed out too. I mean, we had a period of time where we thought that, that uh, we had another we're going to have another uh, ice age coming because of what's happening in the climate. Yeah, that was 1988 and the, the famous hearings. But you know, I, I mentioned this latest article and you know you, you know. Anybody looking at history, even even casually looking at history, would look at it and say, "Well, you know, the, the '30s were were really hot years." Mm-hmm. I know I was born you know, in the late '30s, and '38 was really really a hot year in the U.S. Hotter than now. And then, and think what's happening. Then you know, all the war industry, uh, World War II, is putting all this carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And 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 funny thing happened. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know how funny it is, but from about the mid '40s to the late '70s, we had we had cooling. Yeah, we 
you know, all this new, all this new carbon dioxide we had cooling. Till and, and by by the late seventies, all you know, New York Times and everybody's talking. Oh, the next ice age is coming. What was us? You know, uh, New York's gonna be swallowed by a glacier and so on. And ten years later, oh, oh no, oh no, we got it wrong. <laughs> the, 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 the world, the world's on fire. We're cooked. We got to pass the Kyoto Protocol. Enron's pushing this because they want to sell their gas lines because they, they couldn't compete with coal at the time, and they made a bundle on on this uh, sulfur dioxide acid rain nonsense, which which turned out to be a total bust. And and so hey, we can cap carbon dioxide, and it's gonna be a great thing for Enron and so on. Well, that. How did that work out? Yeah, uh, you know, and, and it's just one, one scam after another, and then, of course, Gore, you know, comes riding in, and he's he's lobbying Congress uh, after he after he after he's a senator, he's lobbying Congress to say, you know, once we pass cap and trade, there's going to be un, un, unchained demand for carbon dioxide. We can we can sell all this all this air. We can trade air, you know, and. What a what a deal! It's the best thing since bottled water. Yeah, and, and and it's just absolutely insane. And 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 the universities profit from it. Uh, you know, civil servants you know keep their jobs because of it. And and uh, and and then, and then the notion is well, yeah, yeah, but 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 you know, but look at severe weather. You know, it's getting weather's becoming more severe and more frequent. Well, all you got to do is look at the record. <laughs> and no, it's not. Yeah, uh, it is you know anybody with a, a scintilla of curiosity would look at these look at these records and say, yeah, but and, and what about and what about climate gate? You know, I, I look at the parallels between 2009 when all these emails were released and and all these all these university people in, in Europe and the U.S. were cooking the books on climate, and and the press wouldn't cover it. Say, oh. You know, these these emails were hacked. You know they, <laughs> and I think you know deja vu. You know right now I say, well, you know Hillary's Hillary's emails were were hacked, or you know, or yeah. Hunter Biden's laptop information was hacked, or something, and and the media will just eat it up, or you know, ignore it. Uh, you know the stuff that's going on now with with the Twitter exposures. Yeah, it's oh, just oh yeah, but we didn't know. You know you you know it's, it's you know. Plausible deniability. It's it's just God help us, Bob. Exactly. You know, Professor. One of my favorite books you wrote is uh, "Scared Witless: The Profits and Profits of Climate Doom." Just to recommend to our listeners, like go to Newsmax.com, check out Professor Bell's column on point, and take a look at the list of books that he's written. Uh, one of them on, I know, a couple of them on climate change. Really, really interesting stuff, and uh, kind of clarifies. Uh, what's really happening with regard to climate change. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. 
Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> 